It's very difficult because I think you have to look at other people's work. Even still today, when I look at other photographers' work, that's awesome. It's absolutely twinge of jealousy, little mixed with a little bit of inferiority, mixed with imposter syndrome. And that's like a personality flaw with me, I think. I think you have to feel a little bit inferior. Otherwise, what are you going to push yourself forward towards? I try to look at that as a good thing, acknowledge it. And a lot of times I'll, if I feel that way, like that bit of jealousy, I will purposely comment and be like, fantastic job because I want to reset my mind and teach it. Like, no, when you see something cool, give props to that and not allow myself to sit there and berate everything I do just because something someone else did was amazing. Hey, welcome to episode 384 of the Beginner Photography Podcast brought to you by CloudSpot, the easiest way to deliver and sell your photos online. I'm your host, Raymond Hadfield, and today we are chatting with wedding and portrait photographer Vanessa Joy about staying power. Now, as many of you know, uh, Vanessa Joy has not only been shooting weddings for years, and years, but she's also been educating photographers for years as well, from blogs to YouTube to conferences, of course, Creative Live. I wanted to sit down with Vanessa today and talk about kind of what it takes to make a career with no signs of slowing down in the photography industry, you know, staying fresh, but also staying consistent and true to your style. So this interview is really less about um, actionable things that you can do in your photography, right? We're not talking about what settings you need to change, um, which she is very much well known for. But this conversation is more about long-term thinking and taking one step back to look at kind of your whole body of work and what's important to you. So with that, let's go ahead and get on into today's interview with Vanessa Joy. I know that uh, since you've been on the show before, uh, we're not going to talk too much about your early days in photography because uh, anybody can go back and listen to those. Um, today, we're going to be talking about staying power and to be in the industry as long as you have. Um, from the outside, it looks like everything is wonderful, right? Uh, <laughs> you got this amazing business. You're taking amazing images. Everything is amazing. So my first question is, I want to go the opposite direction. What would you say is the biggest setback you've had in your career as a photographer? Ooh, the biggest setback for me, and is going to be evident by the fact that I don't have a voice right now, is the fact that I work too much. <laughs> and the whole work-life balance, I'm just happy you didn't want to talk about that topic because that would be so <laughs> hypocritical for me to even discuss right now. <laughs> I feel like I'm right. I just, I have no work-life balance right now. And, you know, that sounds like a very shallow thing to say like, Oh, you work too hard. Ha ha. There's your weakness that you're turning into a strength, you know, in a bad interview. But what it really, what really happens when you work yourself too hard, you, you do make progress. You, you know, you sprint, but then you burn out and your business suffers uh, because you're suffering in there. So then you have to answer your client emails a lot more curtly. And then that doesn't come off as friendly. And that's not giving your clients a good experience. And it's not helping your creative juices. So when I, I say that to say that it's a setback to your business, because long term, it actually is and you end up digging yourself holes that you have to get out of um, in order to sustain yourself for a long period of time, because that's what we're talking about, right? Like a longevity of a career. It's easy for someone to sprint and do really well for the first two, three years. And not easy, but easier than to plan long-term and do things that don't feel good right now because it's what's going to work 
and create a sustainable future. Mm -hmm. I know that, uh, you just said right now is not a good time to talk about work-life balance, but how do, when you, when you are feeling most burnt out, how do you get yourself out of that? I don't, God does. He makes me sick. And then I have to, <laughs> I have to rest. Slow down. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to stop now. So really um, no, it's, but I, it's, you're being forced for some outside uh, influence forces you to, to slow down. That's the only way you're going to do it. A lot of the time. Um, and it could be the outside influences like my kids miss me. So, okay, I'm not going to take every uh, podcast that comes my way. Now I'm going to take them. I'm not going to say no, but I'm max only going to do one a month. So then that means my next availability is now September, which is, you know, four months from now. That's uh, quite a, I'm sure that you get asked to be on a lot of podcasts again, because um, not only do you have the experience, not only have you been in the industry for a long time, um, but uh, I feel like you communicate things in a way that makes it very easy for a lot of people to, to understand, especially those so. new to photography. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, the, that's one of the ways that I found you, you know, is that I yeah. needed help with something and uh, whatever YouTube video you had made at the time was the one that most clearly communicated what it was that, uh, that I needed to know. Um, but with your career as a photographer, I always find it interesting because uh, I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago, um, about the kind of just like the overall history of photography and the trends that we went through. Um, and then that got me thinking about just wedding trends, right? All the different mm -hmm. things that, uh, that have happened that you've seen over time, just, you know, selective color, uh, smoke bombs, bridal parties <laughs> running from dinosaurs, you know, just like all yes. these things. Uh, and uh, probably most, most recently is like slow shutter speed, blurry photos, you know, mm -hmm. direct right. flash. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Lots of these things. Um, so I want to know because all of these things become popular for some reason, right? Uh, somebody likes them and then they become, um, I guess for lack of a better term, relevant, in that mm -hmm. time. So how do you balance, how have you balanced being relevant with these styles that everybody is, you know, clamoring for versus staying consistent, uh, to yourself as a, as a photography artist? You know, I do a little bit of both. So I want to stay consistent, but consistency is good as long as it doesn't end up being stale. Right. And I think at this point, if you look at my website, I have a very clear style and it's very clean. It's not trendy. It's pretty true to color, maybe adding a little bit of vibrance, a little bit of whimsy. But I changed that on like Instagram. So Instagram is not a clean portfolio. In fact, I started making it look even uglier and found the uglier I made my my Instagram feed look, the more successful, more engagement it got. Oh my so gosh. if you look at it right now, um, there's just no consistency whatsoever. And I have like side-by-side -side comparisons of lens focal lengths on there that are the best things on there as far as engagement, but it just, it looks so ugly, but I will put a lot of the trending stuff that's happening because I'll photograph it. I think it's fun to follow the trends. It's almost like inherent challenge within the photography culture, right? Mm. You know, it's not a typical contest that I'm going to win, but it's like, oh, everyone's doing direct flash. Let's do some direct flash fun. Um, and with YouTube videos too, I'll, I'll do direct flash YouTube video or create a guideline. I actually did create a guide how to take blurry blurry photos on purpose. Um, and it was almost tongue in cheek, but there actually is 
skill to it if you're going to do it correctly versus doing it accidentally. And um, so I do a little bit of both. I'm not going to ignore the trends because my clients end up wanting them, especially if my clients end up wanting them and they stick around for a while. So I'll play with them, but it's not going to be something I put usually in my permanent portfolio, unless it's like a really wow image. And, you know, I want it there really representing my whole body of work, but I, I play a little bit. I definitely see blurry photos on my, uh, on my Instagram feed and direct flash and not the, I didn't do the overexposed trend much. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think that says about, you know, posting these, uh, I guess, uh, having a, having a not aesthetically perfect Instagram. What do you think that says about, uh, having more engagement? That seems counterintuitive of, of what it you does. would expect. It does. Um, it makes me cringe. Actually, I recently cleaned it up a little bit, but I think it, it's interesting. I think there's a place for being perfectly branded. And I do think Instagram can be a place for that. But if everybody is perfectly branded, then there's nothing to differentiate you from everyone else in the minds of consumers who don't know, who don't know the difference between good and great photography, right? And then if everyone's really branded and somewhat light and airy and shooting in the same locations, and it's going to be a little bit more difficult to stand out. So in one way, I think it makes me stand out. In another way, I think it attracts people better because I'm getting better engagement. And then they can end up on my website and, you know, see the actual work that way. But I don't know. It's fairly new. Also, I haven't totally decided how I felt how I feel about it other than it is working. And if it's working, right. Uh, what's the, what's the phrase? Sometimes the, uh, the ends justify the means, right? So, um, I want to know more about, um, uh, going back to your blurry photos there. Uh, you'd mentioned shooting some content uh, on how to do blurry photos. Yes. How do you take this trend and put your Vanessa Joy stamp on it? Huh? Oh, you know, I don't, I wouldn't even say I put my Vanessa Joy stamp on it at all, with the exception that I've, I've been taking blurry photos for a long time. Um, <laughs> Unintentionally, but really, before it was cool. Uh, yeah, well, no, not even. Actually, the whole shutter drag thing, particularly at receptions, I've been doing that forever. I think the first time I recall doing it on purpose <laughs> successfully was probably like 2004. I want to say so like 20 years ago and I really should find that photo just to, just to show it. You're like, yep. Been doing it for quite some time. For Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect for Instagram, you know, blurry photos then and blurry photos now, <laughs> but I, I guess I put a little bit of a nostalgia attachment to it to make it mine because it is something that I did in the past and, you know, direct flash, for example, that was something I did, but it was never trendy back then. It was like a mistake. It was, you didn't know how to use off camera mm -hmm. flash or use flash correctly. So, um, for me, it's more of a personal thing. It's like, I'm going to mess with this because I want to. And I think mm -hmm. it's fun to revisit some of the things that I used to do, you know, intentionally or not. Huh? You know, uh, you saying that right there kind of made me think about how, I guess kind of the most, uh, current wedding photography trends are those things like the slow shutter speed, the direct flash, terrible white balance. And these are all very early mistakes that we make in our career, right? As, mm -hmm. or just a uh, journey as photographers. 
where, where do you think that comes from? I know that that's not like a, that, that, that's kind of a hard question to answer, but like, why are we, why are we now looking at things that are technical imperfections as stylistic? I think we're doing that because as a whole, when it comes to imagery, we tend to go backwards, whether it's fashion, for example, like we went back to the nineties and we went back to the eighties fashion. Now you're seeing a little bit of the seventies and we tend to just pull from the past. And I think photography is not an exemption to that. So, you know, 10 years ago, film came back, right. And everyone loved the look of film and they still do. Well, what's next now, actually the, uh, the old power shot cameras oh, have yeah. come back and actually bought one off of eBay, like just for fun. <laughs> but what is this? This has the flash in there. Or is it up here? Mm-hmm. Um, so this already has direct flash. So if you're going to use a nostalgic piece of equipment like that, then it's going to produce direct flash is also probably going to produce the overexposed photos if you're not using it correctly. So I think it comes from the nostalgia, like comes from bringing the past into the present and what reminds people of the past. And think about like, I don't know, your childhood or your parents' childhood photos or home videos. They were usually overexposed or they were um, blurry because they didn't have like the type of technology that we do, or they were grainy. So that was kind of like a different type of blur. So it's bringing in past technologies, but then, you know, it looks cool now because right now everything's so clinically clean. Right. Do do you, so then do you think that because at some point, right. uh, So film came back, but at some point film was like the thing, or maybe uh, we were, at, at some point, we, we revisit the past, but we also like to innovate for the future, right? And then mm-hmm. that's how we create things that we can go back to. Anyway, that got too complicated in my head right there. <laughs> so how do you um, – I want to know more about like the innovation style because, as you mentioned, my childhood photos or let's take my, my, my parents' uh, – their wedding photos. It looks like they got married in 1978, Right. As a photographer, how how do you ensure that your photos don't look like uh, <laughs> they were taken in 2004? I guess it's for me, I want to create that timeless like consistency. And I find that the more high end weddings I do, they enjoy that as well. So I don't edit my photos a whole bunch. What's going to come out as a final product is going to be very similar to real life, obviously with a little bit of shushing and finesse and making it look a little bit larger than life, but I'm not going to alter colors or I'm not going to do a lot of the editing trends. And if I do some of the trends like direct flash or blurry, it's not going to be the majority of images. The majority of the images are going to be timeless and clean and colorful and, you know, bright and vibrant. They're not going to be the trend. So my overall style is going to stay the same and stay consistent. And with that, I can dabble in some of the other little stuff, but it's not going to be the entirety of it. I mean, I hope no one's doing an entire photo album that has blurry photos, but you never know. I'm sure there is. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody sees a trend and just says, I'm going to go all in on this. And I know there are photographers who have, you know, uh, their popularity is just 
taken off like a rocket uh, because they lean in so heavily to these, uh, you know, to these new trends and whatnot. Um, but then we don't see them just several years later. So exactly. I think you, or said maybe you do, but they change their style. So you don't recognize them. <laughs> right. Yeah. It could absolutely be that it could absolutely be that. Um, but you had mentioned something there that you just kind of breezed over that was talking about how, um, you know, your style is right. And we have to create a style. And I think that in today's world of constant new trends that photographers can follow, it can be hard to find kind of like that baseline style. Right. Yeah. It's uh, hard said- without the trends because we're moody as photographers. We're like, <laughs> we'll be one thing one day. And we also adapt to like the scene and the vibe. It's very hard to nail down a style. It is. And keep it. <laughs> and keep it. How do you do it? Right. How, how did you, how did you I, I, walk me through the process of saying, I want photos that look very natural, that look, um, uh, uh, uh I was going to say natural again, but photos that don't look, you know, over edited or things, because there are Mm -hmm. other photographers who have a distinct visual style that isn't um, true to your eye, I guess we could say. And yet they've also been around for a long time. So it's it's not that's not the only thing, you know. So can you walk me through the process of how you developed your own style and possibly went deeper into it to ensure that it's it's yours? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, and I didn't always have a style. I definitely, when I was first starting out, I was more on that like warm sort of vintagey look. And then just as I kept going and as I started looking at other people's photos, but also looking back at my photos or looking at the raw compared to how I edited them, you your eye gets a little bit better. And for me, I started looking at the whites. Are my whites actually white. Um, and they weren't, they were like piss yellow. So I started looking at why, okay, well, one, it's my editing. Secondly, it's also how am I choosing to light the photos based on the position, based on the circumstance. And I know that I like to have a soft light and preferably, you know, a little bit of hair light. So I like to have more of like a 45 degree angle backlight, hopefully reflecting some light back into my subjects, but it's it's nice and clean. So I realized I wanted more of that like clean image versus uh, something that's more warm. Um, and it just like, I slowly had to be very intentional about how I was taking the photos because it is editing, but it's also how you take them. It's how you decide to position your client in green grass versus on the sidewalk, because in green grass means that their skin is going to look a little green versus if you come closer to a sidewalk or a natural reflector, then you're going to get more natural color coming back at them, which again, you could edit things out. But if you're editing out the green of their skin, then you're also editing out the green in the grass and the trees. So it's going to alter the entire photograph. Although I say that, but you could more easily now in Lightroom just edit things out of skin tones. And you certainly could do that in the past, but that also takes a little bit more time. Sure. So um, for me, it was looking at how I take the photographs and then how I edit them afterwards and then choosing what I want to photograph. Uh, For example, I really actually hate green. I hate greened photographs. Um, so I try not to photograph with a ton of greenery in the background, or if I do, it's backlit greenery so that like the sun's coming through it or something. So you've got little bits of yellow in there and that, um, 
that help to just create that separation between the subject potentially having green on their face <laughs> in the background. Yeah, it does not look uh, uh, pleasing when you shoot too much uh, too much in the grass for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, would you say that the most important element when it comes to creating your overall visual style or the way that you got into it was first through your editing and then exploring from there? Um, it's a little bit of both because you can't, I mean, you can, but much, much more difficulty. You can't edit your way out of how you shot it. Um, so it's a little bit of both. And I think looking at editing at the same time as looking at how you're taking the photograph, both of those things are going to come into play. It's not just one or the other. It's yeah, especially now when you really can edit yourself out of anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. It is easier than ever. In fact, the other day, um, uh, I was, um, I don't know if I just missed this or, or what, but I found now within Lightroom first, I thought that it was cool that you could select your subject, but I literally just found two days ago, select an object and I yes. just drew over it and it perfectly masked. It was a, um, this is going to sound stupid. It was a, um, an Osprey a helicopter plane is like a military type plane. So like very uh-huh. um, intricate details as far as the rotor goes, the shape of it. And then it was on kind of like a cloudy background. And I thought for sure, the dark plane against a dark background, it's not going to be able to figure it out. And it did. And I was blown away. But then yep. I thought to myself, the first thought was, wow, the amount of possibilities with this is incredible. But then the second thought was... If I had this when I first started, I wonder if I would work as hard to get it right in camera as I did. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure for you, right, getting it in camera is is a very important thing. Do you think that that is a necessity for being a professional photographer with staying power? Hey, Raymond here. If you're sometimes baffled by which camera settings to use, then I've got just the thing for you. My free guide, Picture Perfect Camera Settings. It's a fantastic starting point for anybody eager to understand the basics of camera settings in various shooting scenarios. And it's tailored to beginners who want to get out of auto mode, providing clear, easy to follow suggestions on where to start with your settings. So whether you're capturing a stunning landscape or a family portrait, Picture Perfect Camera Settings will help you to get off of automatic mode and explore the possibilities your camera offers. Remember, mastering photography settings is a journey, and this guide is your first step. And the perfect resource to guide you towards finding the right settings for your style. So grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com and start your journey to better photos. I guess the answer is no, but it's also, it depends where you want to spend your life. So if you want to spend your life behind the computer, yeah, don't care about getting a right camera because you could just spend your time in front of the computer, but then you'll end up spending either more time or more money there, you know, by paying someone else to do it or whatever it is. So you could absolutely be successful by almost haphazardly photographing at this point, uh, as long as you, you can produce an outcome that your clients are paying you for mm-hmm. that. Cause that's what it really is. Sustainability is not if you're a great photographer or a great photo editor, or you get it right in camera or not. It has to do with meeting your clients' expectations and exceeding them and making them happy over and over again so that people trust and pay you. But yeah, you you don't have to get a rain camera. You absolutely don't. But 
you have to choose where you're going to get it right because you've got to get it right somewhere. And if you want to spend your time in front of the computer, great, then that's where you focus your time. But if you want to spend your time behind the, ca- the camera or <laughs> not behind any of it, right, then you need to get it right in camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny when I when I think about the world of photography, um, I feel like the world of photography means something different to me than it does a lot of other photographers. And in that way, it's very much a, um, a personal journey that we're all on. Mm. Um, and yet somehow, uh, somebody's able to create a style such as yourself that, um, is loved by many people. Um, how often would you say, or I guess, how do you, how do you balance the being true to yourself? I love this. I want to go deeper into this versus I know that my ideal audience would like this, but maybe I don't connect with this as well. It's a balance. There's, there's certainly things that I photograph that I don't really want to, for example, family photos. (laughs) I'm kind of good on those. Like every single breakdown you can possibly come up with. I don't care, but I'm going to photograph them because I know that's important to my client. Obviously it is, it is important. Um, And I know, you know, at my wedding, of course I wanted all those same family breakdowns and Mm -hmm. I love looking at those pictures. But you do have to have some room for your own creative freedom and doing the things that you want to do. And for me, my clients come first if it's a job that they like I'm getting paid for, right? It's a wedding. It's a photo shoot. I'm going to get whatever it is that I'm getting paid for done first. That's priority. And then if I have time, like last year, I was bringing around my old 35 millimeter camera just for fun to shoot some film. I didn't tell them I was going to shoot film. I just did it if I had a little bit of free time. Free time, very relative for a wedding. <laughs> a little bit of time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then I do things that are more for me, what I want to do. Uh, and I'm very fortunate that I get paid for that as well because I make YouTube videos and that whole end of things. I'm not sure if I would do it if I was a photographer that didn't get paid to make YouTube videos. I don't think I would do my own side projects, but I'm fortunate that I have that. So it almost forces me to do some of the things that I'm interested in. I Unfortunately, this week, because I was sick, I had to cancel a shoot I've been dying to do. Um, but it was interesting for me to be like, oh, I'm canceling a shoot and I'm upset about it. I didn't look at it like it was a free day and, oh, I don't have to work today. I was like, no, crap. I've been looking forward to this. And I, now I have to cancel. Wow. So. Yeah, it's a little you, bit of both. How did you come up with that idea? I want to know because if 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 sometimes as photographers we can get so tunnel visioned on mm-hmm. what it is that we need to shoot, you know, like especially at a wedding. I know I got to do X, Y, Z. That's my job. I got to do this. And sometimes yeah. we view so much wedding photography that like that's all that we're consuming. So where. Are you, where are these other ideas that you get excited for coming from? Are they coming from your own personal experience thinking, oh, what if this happened? Or are they coming from outside influences? Oh, yeah. Instagram. I just saw a real one on Instagram, <laughs> at least for this one. So uh, and it's funny, it's something I did once before, but a little bit differently. So I saw it was a girl that was playing with a hose to make it rain for an engagement session. And I actually have on my Photo Insiders community, I did that, but I had the model holding the hose and we were spraying it around and using off camera flash. And it was a lot of fun, but I never thought to do it 
having someone else hold it to make it look like rain. And I was like, oh, that would be really cool. And I really want to do this with the model of of mine that I have in New Jersey and I was traveling there. So it was like all the stars aligned and then I got sick, but uh, yeah, I just saw it on Instagram and I was like, Oh, I got to do that. But sometimes I'll drive by like a place down the road from me, be like, Oh, I would love to shoot this there. Um, and then I do it sometimes with my kids, if that's all I can get. <laughs> hey, my kids have been some of my, uh, uh, have been the best models I've had sometimes, most of the times, especially if I say that there's ice cream afterwards. They're like, we yes. will absolutely do whatever it is that you want to do here. Um, so when it comes to coming up with these ideas and getting the inspiration from Instagram, I hear from a lot of photographers that when they, that they um, um, feel not brought down, but they feel um, inferior, I guess, when when browsing mm -hmm. Instagram, because it's almost this thought of like, well, look at how great that is. Why? How do I get there? Why do I why am I not that great? How am I not coming up with these types of ideas um, mm -hmm. today? You have a style. Uh, it, you know, it's consistent. It is you. But when you first were uh, really starting off in photography, did you find that looking at other photographers work made you feel excited to go get it? Or, man, I really wish that I was able to do that. Uh, no, I've even still today when I look at other photographers work, that's awesome. It's absolutely twinge of jealousy, little mixed with a little bit of inferiority mixed with imposter syndrome. It's, it's never actually been that inspiring for me to look at other people's photographs. I mean, it is, and it was, you know, for ideas in the past, but it's always been, why do I suck? And that's like really? a personality flaw with me, I think, but it's very difficult because I think you have to look at other people's work. I think you have to feel a little bit inferior. Otherwise, what are you going to push yourself forward towards? Mm. So I try to look at that as a good thing. Like, okay. And every once in a while I'll see something and be like, wait, I can do that better. <laughs> um, and then of course I can't, and I get my <laughs> humble pie served to me, but, um, yeah, it, it's very difficult. I actually unfollowed most photographers on my Instagram feed, but Instagram knows I'm a photographer. So all the suggested posts and explore page are going to be cool photo things. Of so course. I'm of just going to see it anyway. And, you know, just, make it a moment where like you check yourself. Let mm -hmm. me look at this, acknowledge it. And a lot of times I'll, if I feel that way, like that bit of jealousy, I will purposely comment and be like, this was amazing. Like, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Fantastic job. Because I want to reset my mind and teach it. Like, no, when you see something cool, you give props to that because that was really cool and not teach myself or allow myself to sit there and berate everything I do just because something someone else did was amazing. So, I'm writing yeah. that down. The reset mind <laughs> uh, idea is so good. Um, yeah, I think change could, the neuro pathways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I know when I had first started, you know, you, you just don't know enough about photography, and yet you mm -hmm. see somebody doing these things, and it it feels great. But then once you do have the knowledge of photography, I don't know about you, but the videos or things that I see the most that irritate me are not wow, somebody made an amazing photograph. It's the Check out this camera hack. If you flip your phone upside oh, down, you no. can get lower to the ground. And you're like, what is this? This is, And yet millions of likes, millions of views. And that to yes. me is what is so frustrating because it's um, it's so I don't want to say simple, but it's like it, it, it's like, why are we even talking about this? It, this, is, this isn't going to help anybody. Um, 
but that's the thing it does. And when you're doing this for a certain amount of time, you get that curse of knowledge problem Mm -hmm. where simple things you think are common knowledge and they're not. So yeah, I get that. And a lot of times I will save those posts, be like, all right, I'm going to do something similar later. And sometimes it's not the thing that they taught in like a reel, for example, it's the way that they taught it. So with um, Reels, with YouTube, it's about watch time. And with Reels, it's getting people to watch at least three seconds. Mm -hmm. So if you see one of those camera hacks or whatever, right? Usually the format goes, hey, I'm going to show you the hack to make um, your photos look 10 times better. You know, it has to be more specific than that. Like the goal, you tell them the goal and what you're going to teach them. And then you say, you give it some relevancy where... Anyone can do this, even if you have nothing but your iPhone. And by the time they're done saying what they're going to teach you, why it's relevant to you. Oh, and by the way, I'm a wedding photographer. Give themselves credibility. It's been three to five seconds. (laughs) So, and you'll watch it because of the thing that they promised you to begin with. Mm -hmm. So it's more the format in which Mm. they're teaching than the thing. Um which is also infuriating because then it's yes. like, but I just want to be a photographer. I don't want to have to brain hack people into watching more than three seconds so that this darn reel goes like viral. But it's true. That's how it works. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. Do you dream at night about just going off into the woods with nothing but just a camera and just making photographs for yourself for the next 20 years? Or or do you uh, really thrive best when when working for others? There are two ways to bring home more money with your photography business. You either get more clients or you spend less of the money that you make. CloudSpot Studio helps you keep more of what you earn. With the lowest payment processing fees in the industry, the average photographer will save $300 annually. And that's just more money to invest in essential gear like a new flash or a sweet camera bag. You know, one that is perfect for storing all of the wedding day snacks that you can pack. But it's not just about savings. CloudSpot Studio is designed to streamline your workflow. Easily organize shoots, send contracts, questionnaires, invoices, and you're really going to enjoy the hassle-free payments. So sign up for a free CloudSpot account at deliverphotos.com and... As a bonus, you're going to get access to my exclusive wedding and portrait contracts and questionnaires at no additional cost. Why let fees chip away at your profits? Empower your photo journey with CloudSpot and watch your business soar. I feel like I would like to be in the woods 75% of the time and then 25% of the time. I need the push to work for other people Um, because otherwise it's just you get lazy. I think mm-hmm. if you don't have that kind of pressure that mm-hmm. for me, pressure is motivation and you need to have some kind of something that's going to push you out of your comfort zone and push you forward. So, um, yeah, yeah, probably 25% of the time I have to come back to reality, but the rest of it, you can just lock me in a black hole and I'll be by myself with my dark room. <laughs> what do you think you'd be creating if it wasn't client work? Like what sorts of images do you think you'd be creating? Like if you could just I, really I do like just photographing people. I, I am a person like portrait photographer. I have no desire to photograph like leaves or landscapes <laughs> or sunsets. Like I just don't. Anytime I see a beautiful anything, I, I just want to put a person there. I don't care about the thing itself, which sounds bad. I, like I love nature, you know? Yeah. Beautiful job. 
but <laughs> um <laughs> good job nature I, good job yeah just wonderful thank you Lord for the sunset. It's wonderful, but I just want to stick a bride in front of it or a ballerina mm-hmm. or something. So if I were shooting for myself, I would do nothing but photograph people and probably even, even just close-ups. Like I just, I love the face and I love um, just how different everybody is and how much you can capture expression wise in like a three inch span. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, um, I was, I was going to, I want to know, how do you do that then? Because you are very good at that, right? And you had to have iterated time over time again, because I'm assuming that your first wedding that you shot, uh, like most of us was just garbage, except your Vanessa yes. Joy. So it was probably fantastic. If you look back no, at those, no, photos, <laughs> <laughs> how do you build, how do you interact with your clients or even just a, just a person, just a person. Let's say that we're not even at a wedding. It's just somebody who you are taking their photograph. How do you connect with them to get them to g- give their face to your yeah. camera the way that you want? Usually, well, it depends on who you're working with. You know, if I'm working with a model, it's definitely, it's almost a challenge to get them to do what I want because they're so good at doing what works for them. Mm. Um, but if it's, let's just say it's someone who's not, a model and just individual person and I'm photographing them. A lot of times it's, it's having a conversation with them. I think photographers get too in their head about posing people correctly and they forget that they should be observing first in a setting where it's not like a rushed wedding. You know, when I, even when I'm photographing a couple, I'll put them in my typical poses, like you've seen with speed posing, but ultimately what I'm doing is I'm watching them and I'm watching them when I like basically put my camera down for a second to go to point B and I'm seeing how they interact with each other naturally and then having a conversation um, and just talking to them and maybe quickly throwing in a pose like, oh yeah, tell me about how the two of you um met or where'd you go out for dinner last? Oh my gosh. I love how you put your hand on him. Oh, I noticed before, like you like to lean your head this way. Could do that again. Uh, and then just continuing that conversation. Um, and hopefully having some really good jokes to like, if I'm trying to pull out humor, also understanding things like body language and mood, you know, if I want to have something, uh, serious or like more relaxed or slow, uh, if I'm posing, um, a model, I'm going to have her move, something slowly so that like her heart rate comes down, her muscles relax. If I want to do something more upbeat and have a lot of energy, then I'm going to have them maybe like shake it off, like do a little jig or, you know, move a little bit faster so that their heart rate goes up and their muscles kind of tense. And it gives just a little bit different of an expression, even in the, like the little minute muscles in the face, when you're actually getting real expressions from some people by speaking to them versus posing them. You're just going to, you're going to open up a whole new world of what they're going to allow you and give you to photograph. I really love how you started out with saying, let's just observe rather than pose. As I think that that is probably the hardest thing for new photographers to figure out because we, there's this idea and I'm sure, you know, with teaching posing, there's this feeling of, I have to put them in the position that I want as the photographer. Uh, but sometimes you can just let them do all the hard work <laughs> yeah. and just observe and let them do that. So that was great. That was great. I hope mm-hmm. everybody takes, takes something away from that. Um, I know that we're coming to the end of our time here. So I got a few last questions for you. Uh, one, I know that, um, again, you've been given 
advice you've you've given advice yourself uh, but in your own business what advice are you glad that you did not take mm, i don't know i guess i don't listen to other people very well <laughs> <laughs> i think i think i usually ignore other people's advice in general i know that there's especially going to uh, like a lot of uh photography conventions and whatnot. There, there's so many different um, viewpoints on photography, on what others can be doing um, to increase your sales, to, um, you know, build a better business, to uh, yep. take better off-camera flash portraits and all these things. I guess what I'm trying to figure out is um, at some point, y you do have to evolve over time, right? But then yes. hearing all these new things, how do you push those away and say, like, do, do you separate them from yourself? Do you say, here's a new thing. I'm not going to do it for a while until I know that this is something that I like um, or or not. Hmm. I think I try most things that come my way, you know, or at least evaluate them. That's what it is. You have to evaluate it. And like, okay, if I implement. Let's just say TikTok. If I implement TikTok in my business, is that going to actually help my business? Is it going to hurt or help the people that I'm serving or hurt or help me? I think I just evaluate everything. You know, what does this look like in my daily life? How does this come across? Does this match my brand? Um, is TikTok where my high end clients are hanging out? You know, things like that. Um, so it really just becomes an evaluation. And you know what? If you err on the side of trying something, great. I think it's better to err on the side of trying it and finding out it's not working for you than never trying it and maybe missing out on something that could have been amazing. Mm, that's got to be uh, very difficult as there are always so many things to trust. Yes. But uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, evaluate, make sure that it uh, is true to you before implementing it. Um, that's good. Um my last question here for you before um, uh, we find out where we can find you online. I want to know if you woke up again tomorrow and you woke up, you were in your high school bedroom, you realized you're like 17 years old again. And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> I have to start all over. But you have the knowledge that you have today. What are the two or three things that you would do different in your photography journey to get to where you are today faster? Hmm. I think I would have concentrated on relationships a lot sooner because in the beginning I concentrated on more traditional forms of marketing and not that they were bad. Uh, I think there's a place for all of them, whether it's, you know, being in style me pretty's little black book or the not or wedding wire ads, bridal shows, and like all those traditional forms were, they were fine. They served me, they brought me clients, but the biggest thing that you can do is build relationships. And I think I didn't do the best job of that in the beginning. Not that I was running around burning bridges, but I just didn't <laughs> prioritize them. And the second I started prioritizing those relationships and going out of my way to look for them, that was when I saw more consistent clients um, and referrals coming my way. I'd always had them from past clients, you know, word of mouth, but I didn't have them from like halls and from um, venues and wedding planners and florists and things like that. And now I do the opposite. I prioritize those vendors, you know, making sure I get them photos, um, a, a wedding vendor that sends me a lead, I'm going to buy them a really nice gift. Um, you know, if I book them 
and send it to them. So I think I would, I would do that. And I tell people to do that now, just prioritize the relationships because the clients will come and go. Those friend circles that you might be referred through will come and go, but the people who stick around are the vendors that are in it with you. Oh, that was good. Mm -hmm. Um, I, um, I was going to add something to that, but, uh, I'm, you said it perfectly. (laughs) There's nothing else. (laughs) There's nothing else to add to that. And, uh, anybody who thinks otherwise is, uh, they just don't know what they're missing out on, I suppose. Um, even though that's a hard thing, especially as an adult to like make friends, you know, that are outside of quote mm. unquote work or, you know, school or whatever. I know how difficult that can be, but, um, I can also speak to how, uh, uh, powerful those can, uh, those relationships can be. So thank you for sharing. They can that. be. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, uh, listeners want to know where can we find you online? Where can we find your work and, um, tell us about your, uh, your new community as well. Yes. So you can find me on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Vanessa Joy. Also on Instagram with the same name. Those are like my two social media places. I actually hang out. I like to say, but where I, where I really hang out, it's the photo insiders.com. It's a photo community that I started. There's a whole library of education with new content every month. And then we also do a live stream every month. Sometimes it's a photo shoot. Most often it's a group coaching call. And that's where you can hang out. It's a great community. We don't have a Facebook group where we hang out because I can't stand those. We actually hang out in an app called Discord. That's a lot of fun uh, and organized, much more organized than Facebook. So yeah, you can check me out there. This was Vanessa's third time on the podcast. And as always, I left feeling a bit more refreshed and... um I also left with three takeaways, you know, surprise, surprise. I wanted to share those with you right now. The first one is just the importance of being your own photographer, creating photography that sets you apart from others and does that just doesn't happen overnight. You know, it takes a lot of bad shots and asking yourself, well, how could I do this better next time to create images that are uniquely my own? Takeaway number two was just the importance of experimentation in new areas of photography. Just because you know that a trend will come and go doesn't mean that you have to avoid it. Maybe you lean into it. You try it out. You do your best. You make it your own. But just don't get confused with thinking that this is what you have to do to be a uh, a successful, let alone popular photographer. And lastly, was just how well... You really have to know yourself to know how you take the best photos. Vanessa shared that she needs a little bit of pressure to create that motivation to do her best. I work best the opposite. You know, I I think that my favorite photos were not taken under pressure. I need to put in the most amount of reps to find the thing that I'm looking for before I'm happy with it. And that means, you know, taking time and introspective thinking. You get the same result, photos that we're happy with as photographers, but it's two very different ways of getting there. Now, if you have any questions about this episode of the podcast or feedback on the show, I would love it if you were to share that with me. You can reach out to me directly via the contact form at beginnerphotographypodcast.com, where you can shoot me an email or better yet, tell me your thoughts in a voicemail. It's quick. It's easy. It lets me hear your thoughts as you have them. So again, to send me a voicemail, just head over to beginner 
photographypodcast.com. Click the contact tab at the top of the page. And while you're there, be sure to download my free picture perfect camera settings cheat sheet, which has camera settings for more than 10 popular types of photography filled with my own personal and professional images and real life camera settings that I use to take those photos so that you know where to get started. Now that is it for this week. Thank you again for tuning into this episode of the Beginner Photography Podcast. And thank you to CloudSpot for sponsoring the show. CloudSpot really is the easiest and the best all-in-one solution to deliver and sell your photos online. And I know because I use it. I love it. You can grab your free CloudSpot account by heading over to deliverphotos.com right now. And remember, the more that you shoot today, the better of a photographer you will be tomorrow. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Beginner Photography Podcast. If you enjoy the show, consider leaving a review in iTunes. Keep shooting, and we'll see you next week. 